Well, we're kicking off a new series this morning, and go figure, it's on Valentine's Week. You, you do know it's Valentine's Week this week, right? There's three types of people in this room regarding Valentine's Day. There's one group of people that is excited about Valentine's Day. There's another group of people that are not excited about Valentine's Day. There's another group of people that had no idea that Valentine's Day was even this week. Wherever you find yourselves, happy Valentine's Day. But start off, I've got a Valentine's Day card uh, that I actually wrote Becky, my wife, way, way, way back early on in our marriage. It's G-rated, don't worry. And uh, I asked her, I was like, hey, do you keep all of, all of my stuff? And she says, of course. I'm like, because I'm that romantic. And she says, no, I just want to remember why I love you. And so I said, touche, good answer still. And uh, so let me read. This is a, a early, early, early on in our, in our relationship. I wrote, happy Valentine's Day, Becky, exclamation mark. I love you so much and am so thankful to have you in my life. Another exclamation mark, just to make sure she knows how excited and thankful I am for her. You make me a better man and do so much for our family. Guess what? Exclamation mark. I can't wait to see where our future will take us exclamation mark. Love, Brian. And so I was going through a bunch of these old notes, and it was just kind of fun thinking through them and, and reminiscing. Uh, but what we don't usually think about is God's word being very similar to this, maybe not specific to Valentine's Day, but the, the note or the card element is really what we read in the New Testament. So the New Testament takes place from Jesus on, Old Testament is prior to Jesus, and it's broken up into a couple categories. And so let me just walk you through this so you understand. This might even help, if you didn't know this, put some of Scripture into context. So the very beginning of the New Testament consists of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called what, if you know? The Gospels. And it chronicles the history of Jesus, his birth, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ministry. It is the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get to Acts. Acts is right after that. And this is the historical book of the early church. We get the early acts of the apostles, the early acts of the church. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, those are our historical books that we have in the New Testament. And then after Acts, all the way through the very end, so that chunk basically, those are all letters, letters. We call them books of the Bible, but they're really letters. And all of those New Testament letters are written from an author, many of them Paul, which we're going to look at one of his letters this morning, but they're written to a church, a group of churches, a group of people, a certain individual, and it answers one question, how to apply what we learned about Jesus, how to apply what Jesus said, how to apply what we read about in the Gospels. That's the purpose of those New Testament letters. How do we apply what Jesus has taught? and what we have learned in the Gospels. And so all of those letters, like I said, are very similar to what we would write to a spouse or to a family member, to a friend, an email we would write probably. It's, it's to help. It's to help apply what we have learned, to be a reminder for what we have learned. Through this series, we're going to look at the open letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, head over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter one, and as you get there, I want to give you all a challenge, because here's, uh, here's the potential problem we may face over the course of the next several weeks as we walk through Galatians together. The potential problem I foresee is you all show up next week and the week after and the Sunday after just waiting, sitting on the edge of your seat, waiting for Brian to give you his wonderful godly insight into Galatians. 
That's what you're, that's what I think is probably going to happen. Here's the problem with that. that. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm absolutely through the rest of this series, I'm going to give you what, what I study and what I get out of the letter to the early churches in Galatia. But what I don't want to have happen is for you just to say, well, that's what Brian thinks. Great. I want you to go through this with me as well. So here's my challenge for you, if you choose to accept, is starting today, each week, you read a chapter out of Galatians with me. So this week, I'm going to talk about chapter one. This week, I want you to read chapter one. Next week, I want you to read chapter two. And they're not that, that long. Throughout the week, you will have plenty of time to read through a chapter a week and go through the entire book of Galatians. And as you do, I'm going to give you five questions questions to ask. I'll put them on the screen. Probably be easier if you just take your phone and snap a picture of this screen. I'll also put it out on social media this week if you forget them. But this is how I study the Bible. I'll read through a passage, a, a chunk of scripture, a chapter of scripture, and I'll say, well, what stands out to me? What stands out? And as you go through this week, chapter one, ask the question, what stands out to me? Then ask, well, what do we learn about us, who we are? What do we learn about who we are, but also what do we learn about who God is? That's the third question. Fourth question is, what is Jesus teaching me? Scripture tells us that, that his word is alive and active. It's helpful. It, it teaches us. It's constantly moving in our lives. And so when we read together chapter one this week, Jesus is going to be teaching you something. You just got to ask the question and look for it. What's Jesus teaching me? And the fifth question is, how can I apply it? James tells us, don't just merely listen to the word. Don't just hear it. Do what it says. So it's not going to be very helpful to read through chapter one of Galatians this week and just say, well, that was interesting and go on with our life. What can I do to apply? What have I learned? And then what does it look like to live that out? Challenge accepted? Most of you, great. Good. Give it a try. Even if you don't want to follow through the whole thing, give it a try just because I asked you to. Try it this week, a chapter a week, ask those five questions, and then let me know how it goes. You know, tag me on a social media post. What are you reading? What is God teaching you? Uh, what stood out to you? What questions do you have? And as a church family, let's go through the book of Galatians over the next several weeks. But I'm going to be in Galatians 1. That's what I'm going to walk through today. And there's one word you need to remember. It's the word freedom. As we see, as Paul is writing to the early churches of Galatia, he's going to focus in on one word, and it's that word. And just to make sure you all heard it, the word is freedom. Excellent. Verse 1 out of chapter 1, here's how Paul starts his letter to the churches of Galatia. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Very typical introduction. He says who I am, who he's writing to, where he got his message from comes from Jesus. Verse 3, may, the God, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Say grace and peace. Grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. It's the beginning of his letter. And if you were to go through the rest of the New Testament letters, specifically the ones authored by Paul, it's going to sound very similar to that whether he's writing to the early church of Rome or Galatia, like we're looking at here, it's going to sound very similar. Now notice he's writing to churches. And this is actually the only, the only letter Paul wrote to multiple churches. Usually he writes to one church, one individual, or a small group of people. But here, only letter that we have recorded in the New Testament where he actually says, I'm writing to the churches, plural, of Galatia. 
be like him saying, I'm writing a letter to the churches of Dawsonville, the church is of Dahlonega, the church is of North Georgia. He's combining an entire region of churches. So this problem that he's going to start talking about in a moment is not isolated to one church. It has become a, a regional, an area problem that he's going to begin to speak to. And that word that we said, freedom, is what he's going to lean in on for an entire region of churches. Now, there's two words that you're going to also find in every one of his introductions, grace and peace. Now, this is fascinating. And if you are a, a history buff, you love context, I'm going to give you something very fun and cool. The rest of you are just blow me off, then that's okay. So look at what Paul's doing here. He goes through this introduction, and part of his introduction includes grace and peace. Every one of his letters also include that same introduction of grace and peace. Now, he was a, a Pharisee. Paul was, and so he's very, very keen, understands the law, and, and very ingrained into Jewish and Hebrew history. And if you know anything about Hebrew, you know that they're welcome, the way they would say hello or goodbye is by this word peace, and the Hebrew word is, do you know? Shalom, that's right. So if you were to say hello or goodbye, it was a welcome greeting, it was a farewell greeting, and you would use this word shalom, which means peace. Now look what Paul does here. In his writings to the early churches, he says, you know peace, that is a normal, a normal welcome, shalom. He uses the Greek word in there. He says peace, but he adds a word. He says grace and peace. Here's why. You cannot have peace without grace. Grace only comes from Jesus. Every one of his letters are based on that. You, you've heard peace, you've talked about peace. He's talking to the early churches. You've said shalom multiple, multiple times. It's part of your culture. It's part of who you are. But that's not, that's not completely accurate because you can't have peace without grace. Peace comes from grace. Grace only comes from Jesus. And then he ties them all together and he basically saying freedom comes through all of that. When we say yes to Jesus and we get his free gift of grace, we find peace. And when we find peace, we are given freedom. So the fact that he adds this grace word to the welcome is incredibly significant. It's not just peace be with you. It's grace and peace. So it's a nice intro. He kind of changes things up, adding that word grace in there, but he shifts gears and he does it rather abruptly. Look at what he says next. So he goes through this nice introduction, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Verse six, look at this. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. That section's a little different than the section prior, wouldn't, it? wouldn't you agree? <laughs> oh, welcome, shalom, grace and peace, to glory to God. I'm shocked that you have turned away from God. The gospel you're now following is not the gospel at all, the good news at all. He said you're being fooled by those that are twisting the truth. He totally shifts gears, and he starts leaning in hard. That's the problem facing the early churches in Galatia, the entire region. This is a problem. I want you to take your worship guide that you got when you came in, or you can do this on your phone or something. I want you to write three words. There's a pen in your cup holder too. I want you to write them, that, and then this. Them, that, this. As we go through chapter one, and you're, if you keep reading through with our challenge uh, through the rest of the chapters that Paul writes to the early churches here, uh, he hits on all three of these. He talks about the them, the that's, and the this. 
And the them he's talking about, he uses the phrase uh, those. He says, those who deliberately twist the truth. You're being fooled by them. And we all have thems in our life. You don't have to write them down. They might be sitting next to you. We wouldn't want that. But the thems are the ones that oppose you. Them that pull you pull you down, them that pull you astray, them that twist the truth. We all know thems in our life for sure. And so Paul's talking about them. Now the them that they're talking about, that he's talking about specifically here, they're called the Judaizers. You remember this, by the way? Let me tell you about the Judaizers. They were Christians. The Judaizers were Christians. They believed in Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection. They believed that they get grace but they added something to it. And this is what Paul's talking about when he says they twisted the truth. He says, the Judaizers believe in Jesus and grace, but they believe you have to earn it, which kind of contradicts grace, that it's not deserved, that you can't earn it at all. It's a free gift from God through his son, Jesus Christ, right? But they said, yeah, Jesus did all these things and he will give you grace if you follow the law, if you do everything perfectly, if you follow everything perfectly. And so what was happening in these churches in the region of Galatia is you were having a bunch of people pretend like they're playing, it's like a mean person that you're playing operation with. Anybody grow up with one of these, by the way? Now I have, I have to confess here, when I when I grew up with this game, it was like if you messed up, it actually somehow shocked you and buzzed you at the same time. They have gotten soft on our kids. Now, you want to see what the new games do? This is not the original. What they do now is if you were to touch the side, it's not even a buzz. It's a vibration. This is what is happening to our future generation, parents. Rise up and bring back the original. It's a whole nother sermon. I'll get into that eventually. But that's what it would be like. The Judaizers, when they would say, oh, you have grace, but, but every time somebody would try to do something and they wouldn't do it just right, ah, oh, that didn't work. And well, I'm going to try to follow Jesus as best as I can. Ah. Oh, I did that one. Good job. Go to this one. Ah. I mean, that was, you know the thems I'm talking about. They, they ah, you all the time right? They constantly say, you're not doing it right. You didn't do it right. You're not going to ever do it right. And they continually speak their version of truth. But remember, Paul's saying they've twisted the truth. And that's what Paul's speaking to. He's talking to those Judaizers, them, and saying, man, no, 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 no. They've missed it. They're telling you something that they're saying is true, but is absolutely not true at all. He speaks to the thems of our life. So here's how he begins to deal with them as well as the rest of the churches of Galatia. Verse eight, he says, again, very harsh. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Verse 10, here's how he, he, here's how he has dealt with them in his life. Verse 10, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So even when you have them among you, them that speak lies to you, them that pull you down, them that press on their opinions, their expectations, their preferences, when you deal with them, Paul's saying, here's how I've dealt with it, and here's how you need to deal with it. You aim to please God and not them. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to please people, 
If I were trying to, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because understand, you can't do both. It's great when they line up. Isn't it great when, wow, this pleases God and it pleases everybody else. Everybody wins. But most of the time, it's either you aim to please people or you aim to please God. And most of the time, we cannot do both. Trying to please people and aiming to please people, the goal of pleasing people, there's no peace in that. There's no freedom in that. It's oppressive living with people that constantly at you all the time just because they're them. That's oppressive. No freedom, no peace, no grace found in that. When we aim to please God, on the other hand, and it is a life of grace, grace that covers them, a grace that doesn't matter, doesn't need their approval because God gives us grace freely. Oh, now that gives us peace. Remember, grace brings peace, peace brings freedom. God's grace is greater than the approval of any of them whoever them may be. To the early churches of Galatia, it was the Judaizers. To you, whoever your them is, know that God's grace is greater than their approval. And the way that we get freedom from them is exactly what Paul said in verse 10. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So I aim to please God, not them. You know this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah, don't teach your kids that. (laughs) It is wrong. It is dumb. It's not true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but to say, but words will never hurt me, that's so false because words absolutely hurt. But here's the difference. When we aim to please people, sticks and stones may break my bones, we get devastated. Because we're aiming to please people and aim to please them, when their words come back on us, it just destroys us because we've been aiming to please them. On the flip side, when we aim to please God, sticks and stones may break my bones. Those words are most certainly going to hurt me, but it doesn't totally penetrate my heart. Yes, it stings. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it has an impact on us, but we can still move forward. They don't knock us down for the count. It's not going to be totally the I'm rubber, you're glue, but it doesn't totally destroy us like it does when we're actually trying to please and serve people. We want freedom, we get it from peace, we get it from grace, and it does not come from trying to please other people. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. So, verse 11, here's what he says next. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, time out here for a second. Here's Here's an important aspect to know of what's going on behind the scenes when Paul writes this. You've got the Judaizers, them, that believe in grace, but you have to earn grace. They at you all the time. And Paul's writing says, no, that's not the way it goes. You don't aim to please people. You aim to please God. But those Judaizers, they're trying to get their false gospel, their false good news in to take root in the church by discrediting Paul. So they start telling the early church, well, you know, the, the one that told you these things, you know who Paul is, right? He used to be Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was trying to destroy the church. He's probably saying these things so he can get in and try to kill you. They're trying to discredit Paul. And so Paul comes back and says, hey, you need to know this, brothers and sisters. This is not from me. This is not from human origin. I didn't get this from any person. I only got it from Jesus. He's the one that's told me to share it with you. So he's beginning to deal with 
what them are saying. He goes on, verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. What he does is he speaks to them, don't try to please them, please God. Then he starts speaking to that. The that's are all the things in our past. That which we don't like to speak of, that which we're not proud of, that which we hope no one would ever find out about, that that we try so hard to hide and keep in our past, that. And these Judaizers have brought that up to the early church. You remember who he was, right? He persecuted the church. Look at all, the, look at all of that he did. So Paul brings it up. He says, you know that about me. Of course you know that. And please know, people, there will always, always be them that love to bring up that. You always have them that love bringing up, hey, remember when you messed up? Remember when you did this? I'll never forget that, right? We carry around that, and there are so many that love to bring it up. And so Paul says, remember, I know that about me, but it doesn't, doesn't hold me back. God can still do great things with me. There's always going to be them that bring up that. We don't get we don't get past it by trying to forget about it. We, we allow God to take it and use it for something so much greater. I'll share one of my that's with you. Um, well, sort of. You got to go talk to Becky a little bit about it. But one of my that's that I try not to ever speak of or bring back up is one of those that's that Becky always reminds me of. She'll never let me forget it. And uh, so if you want to know the story, you need to go ask Becky, uh, what, what's your sailing story? So just ask her. Just go and ask her. What's your sailing story? Brian told me to ask you about the sailing story, and you'll see why she'll never let me forget that. And it's a that that just never goes away. And there's probably good reason for that. But if you want to hear a funny story, ask Becky about my sailing story. Anyway, that's don't go away. And the Judaizers kept bringing up Paul's that. Look at how he deals with it. Look at how he not just moves past it, but how he teaches us to move past them and move past that. Verse 15, three words change everything. But when God. Say those three words, but when God. He says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to, into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. But when God. That's what is greater than that. But when God, but when God sent his son, Jesus, but when God called you to his grace, but when God gave you his grace, but when God finally got his arms around you, but when God entered your heart, but when God, that grace that he gives freely, that changes everything, that covers everything, and it is most certainly greater than them, but also that. God's grace is greater than any of our that. Any of that that we have done, any of that that we will do, God's grace, as Paul says it here, is greater. So no matter who, whoever is the them in our lives that are constantly pulling us down, that are constantly bringing stuff back up, it's like we can't, we can't win with them. And no matter what the that's are in our past that we try to forget and try to hide and try not to let see the light of day, no matter the them, no matter the that, Paul says, grace is greater. God's grace through his son Jesus is 
greater. Now, Paul doesn't say these words, but he's alluding to it. Because Paul's showing the freedom that he has. He's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not bound. I'm not held back by them. And yes, you know my past, but that's not holding me back either because I'm preaching God, God's word through, through Jesus, the good news. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's almost like he's pleading with the early churches, don't let them and that control you. He's saying, I'm not. I'm doing exactly what I was called to do. Even in this portion here, he says uh, that when he did get the message, he said uh, that my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem where the apostles were before me. In other words, I'm not held to anyone or anything except Jesus and his grace. Nothing else controls me. Nothing else am I living for except Jesus. Not them and not that. But so often that's what we do. We allow them to control us and to dictate our emotions. And I'll tell you this, if somebody controls your emotions, they control you. So when them gets a rise out of you, when them starts to irritate you and your attitude changes, the way that you come home to your family changes, you have that boss that's in the them category and you come home and unleash on your family, they have officially controlled you because they've got the better of you. They got your emotions. Same thing with that. When we can't move past it, when we, when, and that doesn't mean we're proud of it. That doesn't mean we want to tell everybody about it. But do you believe that God's grace has covered it? If so, then it's not holding you back anymore. Remember, grace brings peace. Peace brings, what's that word? Freedom. And we have freedom from them, and we have freedom from that. And that's what Paul is saying to the early churches here. The grace that you're being preached now is wrong. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We won't do it perfectly. We stumble in the right direction. But you're, you're not to be controlled by anything or, any, anything or anyone other than Jesus. He says, that's the only thing that matters. I want you to see a timeline here because Paul says something that's pretty significant and we can easily look over it. Verse 15, look at it with me. But when God, best three words we're gonna talk about today, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. That tells us a lot right there. Understand the timeline. But when God, so God got a hold of him, God had a great plan for him. And when did it happen? When he was where? In his mother's womb, before he was born. Okay, so you have Paul. We need to know that he was formerly known as Saul when he was a Pharisee persecuting the church. His name was Saul, not Paul. Changed it after he met Jesus. So before Saul was born, Scripture said that he was called by his grace. In other words, in this moment, before he was even born, God said, I love you. I'm gonna send my son for you. Grace is for you, Saul. That happened before he was born. Fast forward and he saw persecuting the church, doing horrible things to Christians, right? Fast forward a little bit more, he meets Jesus, changes his life. Fast forward a little bit more, now he's Paul preaching the good news. Now here's why this is so significant to us. When did God say, I love you and I give you grace? When? Here. He didn't wait and said, oh, Paul, I'm so glad you finally came to your senses. Thank you for, for finally moving and doing the right thing. Now I love you. Now I give you grace. No, God made this decision and this statement before he was even born, which means God said, I love you. God said, I give you grace, knowing full well what he would do in his future, knowing the people he would kill, knowing the people he would persecute, knowing the church he would try to obliterate. While he was in his mother's womb, before he was born, God said, I love you. I'm going to give you grace. That's significant because there is no that in our life that God is not aware of. We don't surprise or shock God. 
yet he still loves us and he still extends grace to us. We don't earn it. We most certainly don't deserve it. Paul says something very similar to the early church in Rome. In Romans chapter five, he says that God demonstrated his own love for this in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While God knew exactly what Saul and then Paul's life would be, he said, I'm still gonna love you and I'm still gonna give you grace and I'm still gonna send my son for you. There is no that, there is no them that God doesn't cover with his grace. That is the most significant thing. And that is what Paul is trying to help the early church understand. Last part of this chapter one, last part of the intro of this letter, verse 22 of Galatians 1, Paul says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. They praised God because of me. They didn't praise Paul. They praised God because of what God did through Paul and in Paul. And we praise God because of Paul because it shows that if grace is extended to him, I haven't lived a perfect life, but I'm not as bad as Paul. <laughs> if God extends him grace, he most certainly extends me grace, extends you grace. There is no that, there is no them that God's grace does not or cannot cover. And all people, I would say, praise God because of Paul's story, because of his example, because of those three words, but when God, no matter what them say, no matter what that is in my life, God's grace gives freedom to them in that. God's grace gives freedom to, to us to not be held back by what they would say, their expectations, their false truths in our lives, what they try to speak into our lives and redirect us, that which we try to forget about, that which we're not proud of, that which we're ashamed of. God's grace is greater. Grace brings peace. Peace brings freedom. Freedom from them and freedom from that. I want you to write one more thing down. We have them that Paul spoke to, that we aim to please God, not them. That, well, there is nothing that God's grace cannot cover. Here's what I want you to write next to the this. In chapter four, Paul writes exactly what this is. He spends several chapters and he gets to a point and says, this is the only thing that matters. Forget them, forget that, this is what matters. And it's Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. So just write that reference down and, and know this. When you struggle with them, when you struggle with that, when you're hearing the voices of them and when you're remembering the, the past of that, do everything you can to focus on this. Galatians chapter four, four through seven says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could, what's this word? Adopt. He could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Here it is. Know this. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Out of all of them and out of all of that, this, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, oh, remember that. We were once slaves to the law, to to everything that would hold us back. And there's plenty, there's plenty of thems that are going to remind us of that. And man, it is a, a very enslaving life walking through, being held back by them and that. 
were slaves, but he bought us. We're no longer slaves. He has extended grace to us. He's adopted us into his family. We are now called children of God. And no, we don't earn the grace, and no, we don't deserve the grace, but the moment we say, Jesus, I need you in my heart, I need you in my life, Scripture says that his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, moves into our heart, Paul wrote in Galatians 4. And we are immediately adopted into his family as his kids. And as his kids, it says we are now heirs, which means we get the inheritance. What's the inheritance? Freedom. Because of his grace, we're given peace. Because of that peace and our adoption into his family, we have freedom, freedom from them and freedom from that. So I pray that Galatians 4 never leaves your heart, never leaves your mind. It's how we get our freedom from grace or with grace, no matter what. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the grace that you can only give, the peace that can only come from your grace and the freedom that can only be found in you. No, we're not perfect and no, we won't do this life perfectly. But I would ask and I would pray that when we get hung up by them and we get held up by that, this comes into mind. That we were apart from you, enslaved, but then your grace bought us and we are now your children. And we are no longer slaves, but we are your kids. We are your children. And we get to reap the benefits of being your kids. And that benefit is grace, peace, and freedom. No matter what we're holding on to, no matter what we're being held back by, may we find freedom in your grace as you freely give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.